There's a knock on your door. As you open it, a man starts making his pitch. He's so sorry uh, to take a bit of time, but he's got some great cleaning products that he would like to show you. And uh, hopefully you want to buy them. For example, he's got some magnificent chamois leather that he wants to show you. Now, what do you say? Well, if you're like me, you probably say something like this. Um, Look, I wish you all the best, but uh, I'm just not interested. Shut the door. So imagine an hour later, you open the door, there's a fireman. And he says to you, I have to tell you that your flat is on fire and I'm here to rescue you. Now, what do you say? How daft to say the same thing. Look, I wish you all the best, but but I'm just not interested. Now, on Sunday morning, we've been looking at this momentous news from God about his son. Why are people not queuing up to come to churches this Sunday to hear this news? Why are the churches not full today? Partly, I think, because they think that the message of Christianity is irrelevant. Uh, At best, it's a message about cleaning up your life. And they they don't think it's an offer of rescue from a life-threatening situation. Rescued, saved, but only by trusting Jesus? Saved from what? I mean, I'm just fine. Uh, I just got a pay rise. Uh, I've got a great career. Uh, I've got some great relationships. Uh, I'm planning on going a really nice holiday. Uh, Look, I'm just not interested. Now, what has God got to say to us? Now, please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible this morning, I really want you to have it in front of you. You need to see this in black and white that what I'm saying comes from the Bible. So if you don't have a Bible, keep your hand up, and they'll be happy to give you one. And if you have a church Bible, turn to page 1128, Romans chapter 1, and I'm going to start from verse 16. But yeah, if you need a Bible, just keep your hand up, and someone will bring you a Bible. Let me just pray before we come to it. Father, now as we come to the Bible, help us to receive it as it is, your very word to us. Speak to us through it, we ask. Show us the glory of Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen. Well, I'm going to read from verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven 
against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not know, did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. This is God's word. Just keep this, the Bible's open, please, because I want us to work through what is said here. Do you see, from what we've just read, that we need to be saved? And that there's nothing that can be more relevant than the Christian gospel as it points to the only way of rescue. And I want us to follow through the argument of the Apostle Paul here. The first thing he tells us is that God is very angry with everyone. Look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people 
who suppress the truth by their wickedness. On Tuesday, a former Celtic kit man and youth coach was jailed for more than six years after admitting a string of historical sexual offenses against boys. James McCafferty, 73 years old, pleaded guilty to 11 charges related to pedophile activity against 10 victims, which took place over several decades. The Edinburgh High Court was told that he abused his position of power and he used his intimidating physique to carry out a campaign of sexual depravity against these young budding football players. I don't know your reaction as you hear reports like this, but if we are angry when we hear of such wicked acts, and if we find rising up in us a righteous demand that wrongdoers should be punished, then we can begin to understand why a righteous God is very angry today. The anger of God is his just, settled, personal, hot fury against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. He's not simply angry at a few of the ways that we do what is wrong. He is angry at all the ways that people behave. All the ways that show a complete disregard for him, which is godlessness. All the ways that there's a complete disregard for what is morally right, which is wickedness. As verse 18 says, we all know the truth about God. We all know what is right and wrong, but we suppress that truth by choosing to do those things that are godless and wicked. And the Bible speaks of a coming day of judgment when we will have to give an account of our lives before the Creator as our judge. Just look over at chapter 2, verse 5. Just across the page, we'll be coming to this next week. But chapter 2, verse 5. Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. This is the greatest problem for humanity. It is God's righteous anger against our sin. That is what we need to be saved from. That's why Christianity is the fireman at your door warning you that your block is on fire type of message. Yet life might be working for us just fine right now. You might be happy and relaxed in your flat, watching an entertaining program on TV, satisfied with your career and your positive relationships, but the flat is on fire. And you've only got so much time before you can be rescued. That is what Christianity and the Christian gospel is saying. And by suppressing the truth about God who created us and doing unrighteous things, we're on a collision course with a holy and righteous judge. A God who is very angry. Second thing that he points out in these verses is that God is rightly 
angry with everyone. Look at what God has done in verse 19. God has made the truth about himself plain in his creation. God can be known by, by looking at his handiwork, what he has made. There used to be a TV show called uh, Through the Keyhole, and you'd watch as someone walked around the house of a, of a mystery guest, and there would be a panel who would kind of see the video and look at the house and, and look at the rooms and look at what was in the rooms and, and try and guess from the contents of the house who the owner of the house was by logical deduction. You know, a nice grand piano, I think they're a musician. Oh, genius, well done. You know, duh. Logical deduction. Well, while God is invisible to us, his creation makes visible to us the existence of God in a way that is plain to everyone wherever we are in the world. Look at verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. The more scientific discoveries that we make, the more we are without excuse, for we see even greater evidence of God's presence and his eternal power. Whether you look down a microscope and look at the incredible information technology in DNA in every single cell, or whether you look through a telescope into the heavens and look at unimaginable things, we see more clearly the evidence of the glory of God. I don't know whether you saw this uh, picture that came out a few weeks ago, this image of a black hole. It's in a galaxy 55 million light years away, so don't worry. You're not actually seeing the black hole because the black hole is, is like this blackness in the middle. You're seeing kind of a raging fire around it as light and particles are getting sucked to this incredibly heavy object. It is 25 billion miles wide. That's a big black hole. It weighs as much as six and a half billion of our sons. These are numbers you just cannot conceive of. And as we look at the cosmos, as we look at the creativity in everything in a, in, in around us, we have evidence that we have a very great and powerful God. And a, a great, intelligent designer. But what have we done? What have we done with this knowledge that we have a creator? Well, we've not only suppressed the truth about him, but we have exchanged worship of the creator God to foolishly worshiping his creation. Look at verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. See, as we look at the world and the universe uh, and be in awe of its wonders and its beauties, the right response is to consider, well, how much greater and more beauteous and worthier is the God who made it and we should be worshiping him. But we don't do that as all the empty churches in Scotland testify. 
This is God's world. It's filled with wonders and good things uh, to, uh, to, to sustain us and give us delight. But like ungrateful children, we kind of grab all the goodies for ourselves and never acknowledge the creator who has given them to us. We never say thank you. Our great sin is ingratitude. And so instead of looking up and out, we look down and within. And our thinking becomes ever more futile about the true meaning of life. And our affections and our desires become all the more darker. Uh, of course, we claim to be wise. We claim we're very sophisticated, 21st century people. Uh, we have our worldviews worked out. But with regard to a true knowledge of God, we have become utter fools. And this is quite clearly seen in what we actually worship in the place of God. You see, when we ignore and reject God, it's, it's not that we stop being worshippers. We were created to be worshipping people. All around us, people are praising and worshipping all sorts of things. Our folly is seen in the great exchange of what we worship. Look at verse 23. And exchange the glory of the immortal God. Just imagine this. We've exchanged the glory of the immortal God for what? For images made to look like mortal, corrupting, dying human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. This week, a man discovered that a painting he bought in a car boot sale for £230 was an original Picasso worth an estimated £750,000. So imagine the man who sold it. Can you imagine right now? He's groaning. But let's just say he got in touch, this man gets in touch with the new owner and he lets him know he's got a fab fabulous idea. He's got a photocopy machine. And if the new owner will give him the Picasso at no cost, he will photocopy the Picasso and give him the photocopy image of the Picasso. Now, what would you say to the man who thought that that was a good exchange? You fool. You idiot. That's crazy. But that is what we all have done. We've exchanged the glory of the immortal God. We've suppressed the truth about him and we've exchanged it for at best faint copies of his glory in his creation. And so God is right to be angry with us for we've all got sufficient evidence for his existence and his manifest glory but instead we're just filled with ingratitude and we've exchanged him for disordered worship of people and stuff and so God is very right to be angry thirdly the moral chaos proves that God is angry with everyone did you notice back in verse 18 
that the wrath of God is not just something being stored up for the future, but is being revealed right now in the world. How do we see this happening today? How is God's wrath being revealed in the world today? Well, three times in these verses, from verse 24 to verse 31, we see how it's being experienced. Look at verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity. And verse 26. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. And then verse 28, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. God's wrath is being experienced today not by God actively doing something to us, but by simply God allowing us to pursue and experience all the consequences of our sinful desires it's as if God just removes the restraint and says okay you want to go after this go after this now sex is something that God created it he created it as something good and beautiful to be enjoyed within the commitment of a lifelong marriage between a man and a woman it's something that is designed to bring pleasure and unity and the potential of bringing children into a stable, loving home. That's the good gift of sex that God has given us. But when we reject the knowledge of God and his good purposes, then the human heart can find itself enslaved into ever-degraded sexual activity that leads people feeling dirty and damaged and debased. And as a society now, we're beginning just to see some of the harmful consequences of degrading pornography, the way it's damaging people's lives and their relationships. As we see the consequences of this affecting our culture, this is evidence of God's wrath. He is allowing us to experience the the consequences of our sinful desires and, and actions. But do you see that the sinful, disordered desires and the degrading of our bodies comes because of our disordered worship towards God? Look at verse 25. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. He can't help but praise God when he thinks about God. And then verses 26 to 27 Uh, show us how the disordered desires are also seen in the practice of homosexuality. Uh, Genesis chapter 1 and 2 outline how God created humanity as one of two sexual genders, male and female, whose bodies were created to naturally unite together in mutual pleasure and for the creation of children. And yet as we exchange the truth of God for a lie in our worship, There's also an exchange of natural sexual relationships for unnatural ones. And what is described here is consensual uh, practice of lesbian and homosexual sex. The Bible doesn't really talk about orientations. It just talks about the activity uh, of homosexual sex here. And it's spoken of as shameful. 
Notice here that God is not punishing people because they practice homosexual sex. God's punishment is he allows them to experience homosexual sex and all the consequences that flow from that. Uh, Long-term studies of same-sex relationships from places like Norway and Sweden are being published that show that the most unstable relationships are lesbian partnerships and lesbian marriages. And uh, there are a lot of studies that show the very negative health outcomes for men who pursue um, the homosexual lifestyle. It can reduce a man's life by about 20 years. Now remember, this part of the Bible is not here to just pick on homosexuality. It is to illustrate one of the many different ways that we see the negative consequences and moral chaos in our society that flows out of our disordered worship. Look again at verse 28. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so they do what ought not to be done. And then we get this list of ways that we create relational harm to each other as we pursue our depraved thoughts. All of them further proof of the anger of God who's handed us over to feel the consequences of what we think and do. Look at verse 29. Uh, They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. If you open the Sunday papers today, that's basically what you'll have stories full of. This is the week that the Jeremy Kyle show was canceled, a daytime show that seemed to make entertainment out of the conflict and pain of broken relationships. Envy, deceit, sexual infidelity, and violence was kind of put on show. And all this public display of shame finally led to a man Uh, taking his own life after a recorded program where he had failed a lie detector test and he couldn't live with the thought of this going out. Now here's the thing that struck me, that there's such a rich seam of dysfunction that he could put on this show for 14 years. It's an ugly list, isn't it? Gossip, slander. If you've been on the bad end of that, you know how horrible that is. Envy, disobedience, deceit. And if we're all being honest today, all of us, we would have to say, we have done some of these things. And we've felt some of the consequences of doing these things. And so we should be in no doubt that God is angry with everyone including us. Now this is dark, isn't it? This is bleak. But I hope you remembered that I started the Bible reading from verse 16. So look back at verse 16. You see, God is angry with everyone except one group. He's angry with everyone except those who believe. Look at verse 16. 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. That is to say, this is for everyone who believes. The Christian gospel is not simply to point out to us that our flat is on fire. It is to knock on our door and tell us that God has sent a rescuer, his son. That through trusting Jesus Christ, we can be saved from God's anger. That we can be declared right with God. If we trust the one who took the wrath of God for our sin and was punished and died in our place. If we trust the one who was raised from the dead and who sits at God's right hand as evidence that the punishment has been fully taken by Jesus and and that uh, as he is raised and ascended that uh, we are justified, that we are declared right with God because it's fully paid. My friends, that is how we know that God is not angry with us when we trust him. We're going to get to Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified, we have peace with God. This is the great news of the gospel. There's a way that you can have peace with this God. Simply by trusting His Son. That's the good news we've got to share. Some of you will remember Sam, who was baptized here, and uh, he shared his story with us. He experienced bullying at school because he didn't like playing sports. He wasn't a conventional uh, boy, and the other boys uh, used to taunt him and start telling him he was a homosexual. When he got to university, he decided, well, he needs to identify with the gay community, and he threw himself into techno raves and pursuing some very disappointing homosexual relationships. It left him feeling isolated, angry, in his own words, full of disgust, and disintegrating as a person. And one day he was lying in bed, and he thought about what sort of life he truly wanted. And he imagined himself in a car with his wife and with the children in the back seat, looking through the window at a beautiful view and thanking God. And in that one moment, it struck him. He'd been ignoring God all his life. And the thought suddenly gripped him. That was wrong. He needed to do something about it. And so he got out of bed, and he started praying. And he thanked God for reaching into his life and releasing him from a mental prison. And he confessed his sin because he knew he had refused God's word for so long. And he walked into church and said, I think I've become a Christian. Can you help me grow? And we had the joy of baptizing him here. Sam believed the good news. Have you believed the good news? Have you said sorry to God for ignoring him and living in rebellion and ingratitude? Have you asked God to forgive you because you want to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Uh, For many weeks now, we've printed a prayer of repentance in the bulletin. It's on the back page. 
this is the sort of prayer that you could pray today to get right with God and to have peace with God through trusting Jesus. If you've not done that, do it today. You know, we've got people at the front that will be happy to pray with you, whatever you want to talk about, but they'll be happy to talk to you about this and help you if you need some help to pray this prayer. But you don't need someone. You can just take this prayer home with you and pray it today. But let us know because we'd love to help you. Because if you pray a prayer like this, let me tell you, you've become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you can know for sure God is not angry with you today. You have peace with God. It is the most glorious news. You can enjoy your relationship with your creator who's worthy of all our worship and our praise and our whole lives. And as a church, let us always remember that we are all only made right with God through faith. There's no place in a Christian church for people feeling that they're superior to other people, whether that's superior to other Christians or superior to people who are not Christians yet. What nonsense. For the gospel has portrayed the truth of it, that we are all sinners who deserve the wrath of God. And yet we can all be made right with God on exactly the same basis, not through anything that we have done, simply by the empty hands of faith taking hold of Jesus for ourselves. You see, the Christian church should be the most welcoming, open, loving community for all types of people, whatever the backstory, for those who've come and trusted Christ. The ground is level at the foot of the cross and that's the basis of our fellowship together. And my friends, when we've grasped that we really have been saved from the wrath of God and that we have a city that by and large is still under the wrath of God, then that motivates us to want to share it with people, invite them. Why why not invite someone to one of these if-only events coming up in June? So they can begin to hear something of the good news for themselves. Let's pray.